0: WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger.
1: When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too and Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local health care system and your local pharmacy.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak, and in this episode, we're talking about sleep disorders in children. Turns out they're incredibly common. According to the National Institutes of Health, as many as 50% of children will experience sleep issues at some point in their childhood. And sleep disorders can have a significant impact on a child's daytime behavior and overall quality of life. In fact, research shows that chronic sleep deprivation in childhood can increase the risk of anxiety and depression in teens and adults. Now, the good news is that most kids will outgrow their sleep issues. Meantime, there are lots of things that parents can do to help. Our guest is Dr. Jessica Sevick, a pediatric psychologist at Geisinger, whose clinical interests include children's sleep issues. Dr. Sevick, welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast.
0: Hello. Good morning. Thank you for having me here today.
2: So, what are some of the sleep issues that you see in some of your young patients?
0: Sure. so i I currently practice in a pediatrician's office here at Geisinger. and so, a lot of the sleep concerns that i see i you know they often start early in childhood super early in childhood with with new parents coming in and going oh my gosh my kiddo won't sleep um, and so we see you know behavioral sleep problems starting as early as 8 9 10 11 months old and sometimes we we even have teenagers coming in with sleep concerns so it really does um, span a quite uh, big age range
2: and so specifically what do you see like do you see insomnia do you see an unwillingness to go to sleep do you see you know nightmares
0: those kinds of things yeah. So usually early on in childhood, you know, when we're we're talking about maybe like, you know, under a year old, we're really seeing, um, doing a lot of parent coaching around how to set up good sleep habits for their kiddos. Um, And so learning to sleep independently, learning to self-soothe, right? And so we often hear families saying, my gosh, I've been up all night with my kiddo, or I can't get my kiddo to fall asleep by themselves, or my kiddo sleeps on top of me and I can't sleep alone anymore. Um, And so, you know, early on, we're doing a lot of, hey, that's normal, and this is how we can help um, as kids age into kind of those preschool years um, we really do start to see you know some of those, um, habits, behavioral habits that have kind of been shaped up over time, um, start to impact willingness to go to bed, um, willingness to shut off screens, being able to fall asleep and maintain a regular schedule. Um, certainly, we can see things pop up like nightmares and night terrors and sleepwalking and sleep talking. Um, but a lot of times we actually see those things pop up when a child has been experiencing poor sleep for some time. Um, And then certainly those things can progress. And so in my adolescent and teenage population, um, you know, we see a lot of kids who have, you know, what we call delayed sleep phase disorder or insomnia. And so what that means is these are kids that are having difficulty falling asleep and staying asleep, or their sleep schedule has shifted so much that now that night owl tendency has kind of taken over um, and their sleep schedule is kind of flip-flopped. And so for teenagers, you can imagine that this can be, um, cause a pretty significant impairment when you know, they're wanting to sleep, their body wants to sleep during the day when, when they're really expected to be at school. Well, right.
2: And I think the difficulty for teenagers, and I have raised three of them, is that, um, you know, as they get older, and it seems that they need more sleep, they want to sleep later. And yet for many of them, school starts even earlier. And and oh, then, yeah. you know, they may have an after school job and all of that. So it seems like it really gets complicated during those years.
0: Absolutely. And I think that we, you know, what we saw, or at least from my experience, is that during the COVID-19 pandemic, when a lot of schools switched to virtual, you um, each person's experience with that was pretty you know individualized and unique but I found an influx of kids coming into clinic with completely flip-flop sleep schedules because depending on the type of virtual schooling they were engaged in they didn't necessarily have to check in at a certain time um, they just had to get their work done and so when kids were isolated and not able to connect socially you know person to person in school, um, you know, they were up late playing video games or connecting socially via electronics or social media. Um, and, and that, you know, of course, is compounded by the fact that teenagers due to hormone fluctuations, among other things, are naturally going to become night owls. Um, and we saw the effects of that compounded quite a bit. Um, and getting kids back on track as they went back to brick and mortar school. Um, that was I did a lot of that work during the summer and early fall getting kids ready to do that.
2: Yeah, what was that like, you know, sort of helping them to make that transition? What were you seeing? And how did you help them sort of get themselves back on track?
0: Uh, And so a lot of it was, you know, I'm really um, grateful to be here in the primary care setting because that is where a lot of these things first come up, right? The doctors, medical doctors are getting this information and well child visits. And so being able to provide tools, whether it be by your pediatrician or a sleep specialist or a mental health provider or even schools, um, being able to provide anticipatory guidance. And this is the... The support that I provided is actually very similar to the support I provide to families during the summer when sleep schedules tend to get a little bit off track because school was off for the, you know, two or three months. Um, and it's about, you know, making sure that we're waking up at the same time every day, making sure that we're shutting off electronics an hour or two before we want to be asleep, um, making sure that we're not spending all of our free time in our bedroom and especially in our bedroom with those blinds closed. Um, we want to get that bright light exposure. We want to be engaging in daily activities as we would. If we were getting up and going to school or going to work, um, and then making sure that kids are getting adequate amount of exercise, um, you know, being able to keep that routine as easy as possible. And what we found with a lot of kids that were engaging in virtual school is that that routine got thrown off track. Um, you know, and families struggle because they're trying to balance working themselves, right, helping their kiddos with their, you know, educational programming, managing behaviors during the day, maybe there's multiple kiddos at home that they're trying to balance all those responsibilities for, and then their sleep. So it was a lot of, you know, what is the sleep routine that helped you be successful in the past? And what are some tips and tricks we can do to get you back to that? And a lot of that was limit setting, setting new rules, um, and new contingencies, uh, where kids could gradually get back on track in that way.
2: I want to backtrack a little bit, Dr. Sevick sure. and talk about um, younger children, because anyone mm-hmm. who's been around little kids knows that it's not unusual for them to resist naps oh, yeah. and bedtime. But sure. what are some of the physiological causes um, of sleep disorders in young children?
0: Yeah, so with the physiological, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of chicken or egg. Um, you know, a lot of times what we see is that these are, you know, kids are working on, getting into a sleep schedule, a sleep routine very early on in their infancy. Um, so typically we're not providing, you know, specific interventions per se to help regulate sleep until after eight months old, because sleep is so variable and can be impacted so much by, you know, feeding, um, by illness, by all sorts of things growing up, um, especially very early on in infancy in terms of, you know, how these sleep disorders kind of evolve, a lot of times it's actually behavioral. Um, we see that, you know, parents, there's two things we really need our kids to do when they're itty bitty. We need them to eat and we need them to sleep. Um, and sometimes we are at the mercy of our kids because we ourselves are not sleeping as, as parents. And I can say that having an 18 month old, (laughs) I've been through that (laughs) ringer very recently. Um, (laughs) very recently. And so you know, sometimes you're just like, whatever I need to do to get my kid to sleep, right? And so very often, I will have, you know, parents come in with very young kids and say, they will only sleep if I'm holding them. They'll only sleep if they're in bed with us. They're only going to fall asleep if I'm in bed with them. And so some of those very early behaviors tend to shape up um, some of those those early sleep concerns. And then of course, what we start to see is that if kids are not getting restful sleep, um, you know, certainly we can see other things pop up like parasomnias. And that's those are the more significant concerns that often require some level of intervention, such as those night terrors. Um, as kids get older, they might engage in more sleep talking and walking.
2: Sure. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit, Dr. Sevic, about what parasomnias are and what yeah. that looks like?
0: Yeah, so parasomnias are those sleep disturbances. It's kind of a bucket term, um, for things that include, um, those interesting behaviors we see during sleep. So some kids, right, will wake up. It's not uncommon for kids in general to have nightmares, Um, but we do see nightmares start to emerge in toddlerhood, um, and they can get worse, right? If you're having more than one or two nightmares a week, right, often you know one of the first questions I'm asking is how much sleep is your kiddo actually getting? Um, And so if they're not getting adequate sleep. And certainly, that's going to increase the likelihood that we're going to see some of those disturbances. Um, night terrors are very common when kids aren't getting enough sleep, and it's incredibly common in in you know preschool age or younger. Um, most of the time, kids will naturally grow out of those things. Um, but if those persist, that's when getting intervention through your pediatrician or a sleep specialist can be can be helpful
2: causes something like that, Dr. Sevick? Is there anxiety underneath that or, or what's going on that would predispose a child to having those experiences in their sleep?
0: Yeah, so I think it's, you know, we all experience kind of night wakenings and, and parasomnias. This is not an uncommon thing. Um, what makes it worse is when we just don't have enough sleep, right, To for our body to function in that way. And so in terms of predisposition, I mean, certainly there could be things, um, you know, if you're having difficulty breathing, for example. So if let's say a child has any sleep-disordered breathing concerns, like snoring or gasping or pausing, or um, oral motor, you know, type difficulties or swallowing difficulties, asthma, um, significant illnesses like RSV and things like that. Certainly, that's going to impact your what we call your sleep efficiency. So in terms of what what makes a child kind of predisposed to those things, you know, it's, it's different for every kid. And, and in terms of biological dispositions, there's certainly if kids are not getting adequate sleep from the get-go, that's going to make them more likely to experience those things. But there are some biological factors, some medical factors that can make... Um, those parasomnias, right, those, those nightmares, those night terrors, um, and others more frequent. So one of the things that I screen for, um, or I encourage, you know, doctors to screen for when we're addressing sleep concerns early on in childhood is breathing concerns during sleep. Um, we want to know, are kids getting good quality sleep? Um, when they are sleeping, because if they're not, their bodies are working really hard to focus on breathing um, and functioning from a biological standpoint and less energy on sleep. And so kids might be getting the number of hours we want them to, um, but they might be waking up more drowsy um, and not quite functioning at the highest level. And so that's one another area, right? Where we might have some sleep deprivation we're not aware of. And so if parents are concerned about their child's breathing and their sleep, definitely bring it up to your pediatrician because that's something we're medical intervention might be necessary. How much sleep should
2: children be getting on average?
0: Absolutely. So that that certainly varies um, depending on the age of the child. So for example, back in 2016, the National Sleep Foundation had updated what they recommended um, in terms of kind of the, the recommended hours of sleep for age group. So for kids under a year old, we're really looking at, you know, for our infants, our newborns, 14 to 17 hours would be ideal. And we know, right, that that can tend to be fragmented as they're working on consolidating their sleep, right, getting those bigger chunks of sleep that... Um, parents are really looking for. As they get to about a year old, we're looking at about 11 to 14 hours of total sleep per day with preschool children, you know, 10 to 13. And then, you know, our children and emerging teenagers, nine to 11 with teenagers, then kind of falling into that eight to 10 hour range. And so often I hear, you know, young, you know, young kiddos, right, coming to see me or the pediatrician parents like, oh yeah, they're getting enough sleep, they're getting eight hours. And I think Mm. often that's kind of a, um, a misnomer right depending on the age of the child eight hours may be appropriate for our high school students but if i have a preschooler coming in getting eight hours that's that's simply just not enough and we need to get them more sleep for sure
2: we're going to take a short break and we'll be back right after this
0: wvia presents a mind over matter minute
1: hi i'm dr kylie oleski from geisinger sleep is essential to our health and well-being the national
0: institutes of health estimates about one-third of people have trouble sleeping with five to 10% of people being diagnosed with a sleep disorder. The most common sleep disorder is insomnia, where a person has difficulty either falling or staying asleep, which interferes with daytime activities. Cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is the first-line treatment performed by a clinical psychologist. Most people can experience positive outcomes within several sessions. We all have trouble sleeping sometimes, but if it is persistent, you should talk to your doctor. The good news is
2: that insomnia is treatable.
0: Remember, you are not alone. For more,
1: visit wvia.org forward slash Mind Over Matter or dial 211 to speak with someone who can help. Mind Over Matter is presented by WVIA in partnership with Geisinger.
2: And you're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast I'm Tracy Matisak, and we are talking with Dr. Jessica Sevick. She is a psychologist, a pediatric psychologist at Geisinger, and we're talking about sleep issues in children. And Dr. Sevick, because we are talking about this from a mental health perspective, perspective, I want to talk about the psychological um, issues around sleep and children. We all, as you mentioned earlier on, have been through it over the last couple of years with the COVID Mm -hmm. pandemic. We've all experienced mental health issues around it in terms of anxiety predominantly and some other issues. Um, Can you talk about that relationship between um, anxiety that children may have experienced
0: throughout all of this and how that may impact their sleep? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting when we are, when we're working with kids, right. And teaching coping strategies and tools, um, to better manage things like anxiety and depression. You know, one of the things that we see is that often a symptom of those, um, internalizing disorders are poor sleep, right. Or sleep problems of some kind. So that anxiety is going to look different, of course. Um, you know, for our little ones, sometimes it's, you know, age-appropriate anxieties, right, about, oh, my gosh, there's monsters, right, or I'm scared of the dark, or um, as kids get older and they become more aware of their environments um, and stressors in our environments, you know, certainly there might be more difficulty and fear around separating from a parent at bedtime and what that's going to mean, Um If kiddos have experienced trauma or grief, right, certainly we might see an increase in those behaviors, that resistance to go to bed alone, fear that, you know, am I going to wake up? Am I going to wake up? Is my parent going to be there? Um, as kids start to, you know, approach adolescence and teenage years and we start to see those anxiety disorders really manifest um, in a way that's kind of true to that diagnostic criteria, if you will. And say, so, yep, that's an anxiety disorder. Um, what we find is that a lot of kids have difficulty turning off their brains. Um, at least that's the terminology I use with teenagers. You know, their minds are racing. They're thinking about all the what ifs. Um, that might be popping up for them. A lot of times it is focused around school and social dilemmas as that's kind of the, the number one value, right? The thing that they have to focus on in their, in their lives at this time. Um, and so, you know, a lot of at the time of the pandemic and kind of coming, not, you know, I guess coming out of the pandemic in some ways, right? And returning back to those, those routines pre-COVID, um, you know, there's a lot of worry about, can I keep up with school? Um, I haven't seen my friends in a while building those social relationships and maintaining those social relationships, um, not to mention just getting back into the kind of the rigor of face to face schooling, among other things, and what that means with balancing school potentially work, extracurricular activities, social time, and and being able to find that balance between being connected, right, electronically with folks, as well as maintaining some of those face-to-face contacts. And so a lot of that just starts to kind of snowball for some kids um, and learning, you know, some cognitive behavioral therapy strategies to relax our bodies, signal to our brain when it's ready to sleep, and some tools to help distract our brain away from some of those what-if situations so that way we can get more restful sleep.
2: Yeah, I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that. I mean, how you would treat a young patient who is struggling with those issues, with the anxiety issue. So now you've got not only a sleep issue, but you've Mm -hmm. got an anxiety issue as well, and how you might use, for example, cognitive therapy to help get them back on track.
0: Sure. Absolutely. So, you know, part of the very first thing that I do with a lot of kids is I help assess what is your sleep routine? What are some of the things that you do to get ready for sleep? Um, A lot of times teenagers, especially, right. And, you know, we were all there once and could probably relate to this. We're spending a lot of time in our room, you know, either by ourselves or connected to some type of device. Um, That's where we do our homework. That's how we socialize with our friends. That's how we relax, um, and so one of the first things that I do is, you know, when you're getting ready to go to sleep, right. And you've been kind of hanging out in bed all day, your brain kind of can't differentiate sometimes when it's time for sleep and when it's time to do homework or when it's time to, you know, get on Snapchat or some other form of social media. And so being able to assess what are the little things that we can do, changes that we can make or changes to our environment we can make to make sleep easier. Cause when we can make sleep easier, then, you know, we can help manage those anxiety um, symptoms a little bit easier as well. And so that's usually kind of the first place that I start. I also talk to teenagers about, you know, how can we start creating habits for yourself leading into bedtime that are going to help you unwind? So going right from, you know, whether it be video gaming or homework, right, some highly stimulating activity and then jumping right into bed and saying, "Okay, turn off brain. We're going to go to sleep now isn't realistic. Um, And so, you know, working with kids and families about how can we set limits around when are we shutting off the devices? When are we putting the homework away? Um, How much time are we going to spend just relaxing, whether it be as a family, reading, taking a hot shower or bath, um, listening to music, um, something that's just going to help us unwind, right? And as adults, right, these are things that that you're going to continue to use. Um, And then, you know, setting realistic expectations around sleep and limits to sleep after school. So one of the things I really try to discourage is napping. Um, You mentioned earlier that, you know, with all these competing responsibilities and early school start times, kids sometimes aren't getting enough sleep simply because of that. Um, And so a lot of times kids are coming home and they're crashing and they're sleeping for an hour or two, waking up, having dinner, then doing homework, staying up late and repeating the process. So being able to say, hey, how can we, if we're going to take a break after school, what should that look? Like, what are some other behaviors that can replace that nap? They're going to help you fall asleep more easily when it's time to fall asleep. Yeah, I was just going to say,
2: I remember that so well, Doctor Sevick, because one of my children would, you know, go to high school, uh, come home early afternoon, and then mm-hmm. crash. And it was—I mean, <laughs> yeah. there was just no waking that child at dinner time, and then and the cycle just, you know, continued. And I'm sure a lot of parents yeah. can relate to that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I was that teenager one day, too, right? Because I was staying up, you know, <laughs> doing the thing, all the extracurriculars. And so it's funny when I have teenagers come in and say they're doing that, I just kind of laugh and shake my head and go, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> um, but why, you know, what that does, though, is that, you know, I see anxiety kind of come in two, two different ways. So sometimes I have, you know, kids and teenagers that are knowing, they're so adamant that they have to sleep, right? Like, I know I have to fall asleep, that they actually start to worry about falling whether or not they're going to fall asleep. Um, And we call these, you know, the clock watchers, right? So that's usually when I say, nope, turn the clock around. (laughs) We're not looking at the clock. Um, You know, sometimes we see comics out there, right, of those insomnia comics of people looking at the clock and it gradually or very quickly moving around the dial. Um, And so learning techniques such as, you know, relaxation strategies, diaphragmatic breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, maybe incorporating yoga, light yoga, restorative yoga before bed, um, being able to identify and you know call out those worries, right? I notice I'm worrying about this right now. Sometimes I have kids keep worry jars where they can write that worry down and put it away, right? We'll deal with that tomorrow, but let's get it out of our head so that way we can really focus on relaxing. Um, for those kids that are having worries about fears, Um, Whether it be you know those bedtime monsters or fear of the dark or they had a nightmare the night before that's keeping them up and they're feeling worry around that, I work with families about um, talking about different cognitive restructuring techniques. How can we take that experience right and actually make it silly or funny? Let's retell the scary story as something absolutely ridiculous. Um, I want you laughing and smiling before bed. Um, That's going to help us have more restful sleep and it's going to make that interaction before bed a little bit easier and less stressful as well.
2: Yeah, that's great advice. I was just thinking back about what you said about, you know, the clock watchers and I think, yeah. you know, as adults we tend to do that too and then mm-hmm. we worry that we should be asleep and we know we have to get up in a few hours and mm-hmm. it just compounds the issue. Do you recommend that, you know, teenagers uh, maybe get out of bed or read or or when when you find yourself awake in the middle of the night and you're worried about getting back to sleep? Mm-hmm what do you do? I mean, you talked about, you know, progressive relaxation and breathing and some of those things. Does Mm -hmm. it make sense sometimes to just get up or to read a book or to, you know, to
0: do something um, since you're awake anyway? Absolutely, it does. Um, We actually call this stimulus control, right? Um, So this goes back to what I was saying earlier, when we're We have a tendency right as we get older to isolate right that again this is where we have our privacy is as adolescents and teenagers right our room is our sacred space usually and so that means a lot of times kids are hanging out in bed and doing all sorts of things right during the day um and so when it comes time for sleep you know our brain needs to discriminate between we have different signals in our in our environment and so often an example that i'll use is you know if your mom or dad asked you to wash the dishes where are you going to do that in your house? I'm like, oh, the kitchen, Jess. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Right. And so we start talking about those examples where they know where in their environment they're supposed to engage in a certain behavior. And then I talk about sleep and I say, you know, gosh, your bedroom, right? Let's name all the things you do in your bedroom during the day. And specifically while you're sitting or laying in bed. And often we get a very large laundry list of different things that they're doing. And so then I just ask, gosh, how does your brain know when it's time for bed then? Unless it's completely exhausted and you're passing out wherever, right? <laughs> How does your brain know? Um, and so, you know, we talk about setting up better signals to our brain. Um, and one of those means let's spend less time in bed. If you're going to hang out in your room, that's fine, right? If that works for your family and your family dynamic, great. But don't do it in bed, right? Sit on the floor, get a beanbag, get a chair, right? Do that outside of your bed because when it then is time for sleep, when you get into your bed, that signal is going to be stronger for your brain to say, ah, this is that place where we do that thing. Um, now, if it's taking you longer than 30 to 60 minutes to fall asleep, I do recommend that kids get out of bed. Um, still keep a pretty you know, low light, n- no stimulating activities, no screen time, no loud music, nothing like that. But get up and do something boring. Um, and I mean really boring, like sort <laughs> pennies by year. Um, I had a supervisor <laughs> that would like had such... Just joy out of coming up with boring activities, sort a car- deck of cards, go read the dictionary, right? And kids are like, what's that? Um, go pick that up, yeah. right? And, and read through that um, or, you know, read a book, but don't pick, don't read the book that's going to keep you up all night. No Harry Potter or anything like that. Yeah. Then get back into bed and try again. So as we're doing sleep training for adolescents, this is often a process that we go through. and Sometimes we have to repeat a couple times before we get it right.
2: Right. Right. Um, in our last couple of minutes here, Dr. Sevick, I do want to ask you about whether sleep disorders can be misdiagnosed. In other words, can they look like something else like ADHD or some other um, disorder because maybe some of the outward signs look the same?
0: Um, you know, very early on in my training. So I was trained as a school psychologist um, and then I found myself in academic medicine in the clinical world. But very early on, you know, it was emphasized to me in my training, and I try to emphasize this to my learners, always assess for sleep. Sleep has such an impact on all forms of functioning, um, both, you know, how we manage big emotions, right, and some of those things like anxiety and depression, but also how we function in our world. So if I have a child, you know, let's say I have a young family coming to me with a little one and they're having difficulty at school, right? I am absolutely gonna check in on sleep concerns and wanna know how much are they sleeping, what's the quality of sleep they're getting, are they getting up in the middle of the night, et cetera. Um, And I wanna help the family manage that first before I start saying, gosh, should we get evaluated at the school for a learning concern? Let's move forward and look at, you know, ADHD concerns because there is a high comorbidity. There's a high overlap of, you know, between ADHD and sleep. And it's kind of chicken or egg, right? Kids that are hyperactive um, are going to be more likely to have sleep issues, and kids who aren't sleeping enough are going to be more likely to look inattentive and hyperactive. Um, and so making sure that we're really setting a strong foundation and sleep skills is going to be important, regardless of of the other concerns that we're having. And the same thing for depression. Um, you know, one of the hallmark um, symptoms of depression is is poor sleep, um, low energy. And so getting a sense of, okay, are we having poor sleep and low energy because we have habits that we can, we can kind of, you know, that started all of this. And so therefore we're not getting good sleep and we feel really crummy during the day and really down and not engaged and we're not doing the things we enjoy. So that just furthers the cycle of low mood. Or is it that gosh we do have this depression going on and that symptom is really strong for us. And so then we're we're kind of working on treating both things at that time.
2: Right. Well, and it sounds like the big takeaways here are that children, regardless of age, tend to need significantly more sleep than Mm -hmm. adults do, and that it's really important uh, for parents and others to help them create sort of a a sleep hygiene uh, routine, right? To kind of signal when it's time for bed and to do everything possible to set them up for success as it relates to sleep.
0: Absolutely. And the American Academy of Pediatrics has some really great tools for families. Um, talk to your pediatrician. They, they have these these tips and tricks ready to go for you. Um, and start early. It's never too early to start thinking about sleep hygiene.
2: Yeah, great advice. Well, Dr. Jessica Sevick is a pediatric psychologist at Geisinger. Dr. Sevick, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
2: I'm Tracy Matisak, and thanks to you for listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. For more information, check out our website at wvia.org slash mind matter. See you next time.
0: WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger.
1: When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Wanna fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy.